If you would, uh, go ahead and turn to the book of 1 Kings, chapter number 19. 1 Kings, chapter number 19. Give you just a second to get there. Uh, while you're turning there, you know, we want to continue to pray for Pastor and uh, Miss Laura while they're on vacation and uh, also for the new family. Uh, Mr. Wade texted the Epic class on Friday that uh, they were exposed to coronavirus. Um, don't know if I'm allowed to say that, <laughs> that word, but I mean, um, so just keep them in, keep them in your prayers. All I got to say there, there's easier ways to avoid hearing me preach. Like, you, they, they didn't have to, they didn't have to get COVID for that. But, uh, anyway, 1 Kings chapter number 19, we'll start reading. We'll be a little bit all over the chapter, but we'll start reading in, uh, verse number one and read through verse number eight, and then we'll get started. All right. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. Let's pray to start off our evening. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you now. We thank you for this time that... We could gather together, especially uh, in times like these, Lord. We know your word. We know your commandment not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, Lord. Uh, I pray, Lord, tonight that you would just help me, Lord, that you would calm my nerves, that you would take anything out of the way that would hinder me from just preaching your word and laying it out as it is. These aren't my words, Lord. They're, They're yours, and you've laid them on my heart for a reason. I pray that someone in here could be helped by something that is said. I pray that you'd empty me of all pride and self, and uh, let us leave this place better equipped to serve you than when we came in. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, tonight I'd like to take a practical examination of some of the of the life of Elijah and some of the discouragement, disheartenment, loneliness that he faces here in this chapter. Because we're all going to face loneliness and discouragement and disheartenment when serving the Lord. And because while not all of us are called to full-time vocational service, every saved individual is called to serve the Lord. I believe we ought to count that as a pretty fantastic blessing, don't you? 
I mean, we, we, that we get to serve and our amazing God, not because he needs one ounce of what you and I could do for him, but because that he would desire that you and I would worship him through service. Now, when we catch up to Elijah in this passage, um, previously in chapter 18, is what many would consider to be the apex of his life and ministry. It's what he's most known for. And that is uh, the mountain and the, the, the sacrifice with the priests of Baal. And he prays, he prays to the Lord and fire comes down from heaven and licks up the wood and the oil and the water and the lamb and the sacrifice and just licks it all to ash. And by that, he shows Israel that they've been serving Baal, who is obviously the false god, and that they need to turn onto the one true God, Jehovah. Now, when we come into chapter 19, looking at verse 2, it says, Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So he's coming off a mountain of his life and ministry. He's served the Lord. He's, he's had great success thus far. Every prayer that we see in the life of Elijah that he asks of God up until this point is answered. But when Jezebel threatens his life, he becomes disheartened. What does he do? It says, and when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came unto Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. Comparing to when we first see Elijah in chapter 17 of 1 Kings, if you would turn there for just a second. Verse 1 says, and Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. You see, when we compare this to back over what we just read in chapter 19, verse 3, where he flees uh, from the threat of Jezebel. We see that in chapter, in chapter 17 and then later in chapter 18 when he confronts the prophets of Baal, that he is acting on boldness from the Lord. The Lord has emboldened him to speak and stand, uh, to speak and, to stand and speak uh, with boldness before them and speak the truth. But in chapter 19, he acts out of fear. And don't we often act out of fear? So don't we often make decisions out of fear ourselves? And he, he let fear reign in his heart. And why, why is that? Well, number one, I believe he failed to see that the Lord's hand was on his life. If you, so you see, if you look at the life of Elijah through chapter 17 and 18, and now beginning into chapter 19, you see 
that the Lord's blessing and the Lord's protection is clearly on his life. And we see some clear examples of that. We see that the Lord fed him by ravens and protected him from Ahab by the brook Cherith well, uh, for, I believe, two or three years. He protected, or he provided for him and the widow's family when he sent him to Zarephath to minister unto them in chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. He answered his plea to raise the widow's son from the dead in chapter 17. He gave him the ability to speak boldly before the prophets of Baal in chapter 18, verse 21. He answered his prayer to light the altar, though the wood was wet and the, uh, and the offering was soaked in chapter 18, verses 30 through 39. He de- the Lord delivered the prophets of Baal into his hands to be slain in chapter 18, verse 40. He answered his prayers to bring rain once again in, eight, in chapter 18, verses 43 through 45. And he gave him the supernatural ability to outrun Ahab's chariot in chapter 18, verse 46. That last one I think is especially cool. It says, it, it, it's probably for most of you on the same page. It says, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, Elijah, and he girded up his loins. We talked about that this morning and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. See, Ahab was in a chariot and there was obviously no way that that Elijah was going to outrun that chariot in, under his own power, but the Lord gave him the ability to do that. So, I, like I said, I think the first thing, the first reason that Elijah acts out of fear and discouragement in verse 3 is that he failed to see the Lord's hand on his life. Somewhere along the line, Elijah forgot that the Lord was is and always will be in control. He became discouraged by the evil around him. I, I think we, most of us know kind of the general account of Jezebel in the scriptures. By the way, Jezebel, not something you want to name your daughter. I'm just, just going just gonna to put that out there. I think that's on the no-no list. Um, just, just say no to Jezebel. Anyway, um, <laughs> But uh, we see, we see, um, we see. Obviously, that Israel is entangled with idol worship and uh, just false gods and just evil and wickedness. And Jezebel is a wicked woman, and she's queen uh, of this country. And um, Ahab just basically is hung on by the apron strings and just follows whatever his wife says. And so both of them are evil and displeasing to the Lord. And Elijah becomes discouraged by the evil around him. And especially in times like these, how how easy is it for us to become discouraged by the evil that's around us in the world? Because, because, we often do. We often forget his faithfulness because of this world system that Satan has set up. It, if you look around, especially these last couple months, I don't know about you, but uh, I, 
I think it's pretty easy to see that this world system more and more hates God and everyone that loves him and everyone that is willing to follow him. And they will do anything in their power to shut you up and keep you from living for the Lord and influence you to live by the world's standards. So he became disheartened. Do you notice he became disheartened rather easily? You know, as finite beings, as finite humans, our emotions are very fickle. And you see, at the end of chapter 18, we read that verse, verse 46. He's at the top of the mountain, the pinnacle, the apex of his ministry. Five verses later, he's telling the Lord, I'm done. I, I bow out. My, my service for you is done. Just take my life. I'm not, for I'm no better than my father's is how he put it. I think Charles Spurgeon said it very well when he said, we are far too prone to engrave our trials in marble and write our blessings in the sand. Number two, notice he left all accountability, fellowship, and encouragement behind. Look at the second half of verse three. It says, And came unto Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. You see, it says he left his servant in Beersheba. And it says, and he himself. Oftentimes when we come under discouragement, isn't our first reaction sometimes as humans to try and shoulder that all by ourselves? When we should not only... uh, pass our burdens and give our burdens to the Lord, but we should rely on our fellow Christians to hold us accountable, to encourage us and to fellowship with us because we need fellowship. God created us that way. Well, we don't know the name or the relationship that Elijah's servant exactly had with the Lord. We do know that he witnessed firsthand firsthand the Lord's hand on Elijah's life through the answering of prayer. You see, in chapter 18, Elijah's servant was present, and he was actually a messenger and a very big part um, of Elijah praying for the Lord to bring rain back on Israel. And so he was there, and he, he saw that, and he was with Elijah every step of the way, seeing the Lord's hand on his life. Don't you think that... If Elijah had been with his servant when he went a day's journey into the wilderness, that he may have had a different attitude with his servant there reminding him what the Lord had done for him. And how often we might be different in the way we handle uh, discouragement if we allowed others to pray for us and encourage us. You see, uh, over in Proverbs chapter 27, pretty familiar passage, 
I think a lot of you probably know where I'm going with Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27, verse 17 says, Iron sharpeneth, sorry, iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. And then in Galatians 6, 2, I probably should have warned you that we're going to be turning a little bit tonight. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, it says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So God created us to have fellowship not only with him, but to have fellowship with other believers and uh, like-minded Christians who would encourage us, exhort us, hold us accountable, and fellowship with us. Number three, Elijah allowed his discouragement and helplessness to turn into despair and hopelessness. Verse four says, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he, that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. You see, for Elijah, this is where rock meets bottom. He tells God that his service has come to an end and requests that his life might end also. Now, I praise the Lord that I've never personally been in a place where I've been so down and so discouraged that... Uh, that I have wished that my life would end. I praise the Lord that I've never had to experience that. But maybe some of you in this room have. And while I can kind of wrap my mind around the idea, it's really hard for me to really understand the depth of that. But it's a horrible situation to be in. Also notice he says in verse 4, for I am not better than my father's. Notice he starts comparing his ministry to the failures of his predecessors, his predecessors being Israel. Remember, nothing good ever follows a comparison of your service to God to that of another's service to God. Nothing nothing good ever comes from that. You see... Number four, the fourth thing I see here is the Lord placed everything he needs right in front of him, and he takes it for granted. Verse five, it says, and he lay and slept under a juniper tree, and behold, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head, and he did eat and drink and laid him down. Again, the angel literally touches him and shows him what the Lord has provided him. The Lord provided exactly what he needed. He was a day's journey into the wilderness by himself. All he had was shade. He needed food and water. He needed sustenance. See, that word arise has that sense of urgency. Get up. There's still more work to be done. But, and then... Uh, and then eat, the, that the Lord supernaturally provides the strength that he needs. The Lord has that food and that drink laid out in front of him. But what's, what's his reaction? 
He takes the provision of the Lord, but then allows himself to lie down again and continue to wallow in despair and self-pity. Often we are like this as well, where Almighty God places a solution to our issues right in front of us, and we still fail to see it. I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 10.13, which talks about that God will not allow us to be tempted above that we, that, uh, that we are able, but with the temptation we'll also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. So, so you see, often, I mean, it says temptation there. And it, that verse is talking about temptation. Don't you think trials can be tempting? Times of discouragement can be tempting. What's the temptation there? The temptation to give up and be done and no longer try to live for the Lord. How often are we like this? And this is the response that Elijah has, that Elijah had. Fifth thing I see is thankfully, our God is a God of second chances. Not only that, he's a God of second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, infinite chances. His mercy is limitless. Look at verse chapter set, or verse seven. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time. Aren't you grateful for that second time? Aren't you grateful that before you were saved, that if you rejected the Lord once, that he didn't stop knocking? But he touched again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. You see, God would be perfectly within his rights to choose someone else to carry out that which he had planned for Elijah. But he gave Elijah another opportunity. And he gives us so many opportunities with his infinite mercy. Also, notice how both times the angel comes to Elijah, he doesn't even acknowledge Elijah's resignation, if you will. You see, Elijah says, it is enough. He's basically, he's throwing his hands in the air. He's saying, Lord, this is it. I can't take it anymore. I'm done. I'm at the end of my strength. The Lord just says, arise and eat. The Lord, the, the Lord refuses to acknowledge that, that resignation, that bowing out. And why? Because Elijah failed to recognize we don't get to dictate to God the timetables of our service. If God hasn't taken us home, there's work to be done. Service to God is a thousand percent in or a thousand percent out. I'm not very good at math. I know that doesn't make sense. There's not much that disgusts God more than a lukewarm or part, part-time believer in service. We know that from Revelation 3. There's nothing after salvation that we must do for God. But once we dedicate our lives to, to his service, he expects full commitment. Number six, notice he says, the journey is too great for thee. You see, Elijah says, I'm out. He bows out. He says, I'm done. That's it. I can't take any more. And the Lord says, you know what? I know. 
but I can. The journey is too great for thee. But the Lord's saying, the journey is not too great for me. He didn't have the physical strength or the emotional strength or the spiritual strength to continue with the task that the Lord set out for him. But the Lord was telling him that he was able to carry him through. In the same way, we don't have the strength to fulfill the things that the Lord has called us to do. But the Lord can and will carry us through. Number seven, the Lord supernaturally aided him in his journey to Horeb. We see, it says, when, 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 uh, when he does uh, respond to the Lord in the right manner, we see something miraculous happen. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. You see, we'll see later in this, later in this chapter, a little bit later, we'll jump ahead in a, in a minute. The Lord supernaturally aided him in his journey to Horeb because, well, Elijah had started to have a right response to the Lord's call to continue service, the Lord still needed to test and strengthen his faith. Number eight, I'd like to look at uh, the word arise or arose. You see, throughout this chapter, um, this is a very, uh, many of you have probably heard messages from chapter 19 before. It's a very oft-preached chapter. And basically the theme of the chapter is that word arise. It's used over and over again in different tenses and ways and for different reasons. It's amazing how with context and the perfect King James Bible, the Lord can use the same word in so many different contexts and get you to know exactly what he's saying. So look at the word arose in verse 3. And when he saw that, that's the threat from Jezebel, he arose and went for his life. Jump down to verse 8. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat. 40 days and 40 nights. You see, in both situations, he's traveling to get somewhere, but for very different reasons. In verse 3, he goes on his own strength, disheartened, alone, afraid, and outside of the Lord's will. The Lord had not, did not sanction this, this. The Lord did not tell him to go into the wilderness. The Lord did not tell him to go there. But he went out of fear and he went of his, he, he went in his own strength. In verse eight, he goes off the strength of the Lord's provision, rejuvenated and strengthened. You see, it says he went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights. God's strength is so much better than our own strength. Amen. You see, 
Number nine, serving God in an evil world is never promised to be easier without trials. But as many of you who are, who are serving the Lord with your lives, you can attest to this. It's absolutely worth it. Now let's jump down in the chapter and uh, let's, let's see. I, I talked about earlier how the Lord gave him the strength to get to Horeb, which he never would have been able to do on his own. But he had more to teach him there. You see, let's look in verse 14. Actually, let's look at the end of verse 13. I just did a pastor there. Um, so, Elijah here in this portion, he hears the voice of the Lord and he's in a cave in Horeb. And the voice says, what doest thou here, Elijah? And you see, Elijah is still feeling alone and angry because he feels as if he's the only one serving God with his life. He says, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant and thrown down thine altars and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. Well, we see down in verse 18 that God always has his remnant and he reminds Elijah of that in this passage. The Lord says, Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Sometimes when we get discouraged or disheartened serving the Lord, we can feel as if we're in it alone. And this is how Elijah felt. But we need to remember that the Lord always has his remnant and that there are always those, whether well they may not be in our immediate vicinity, who are serving him and making an effort to live for him. Then, number 10, God provided Elijah what he needed when he needed it. You see, we see that a reoccurring theme in this chapter in Elijah's life is that he's lonely. He needs... He needs someone that he, he needs he, he needs people around him to remind him that the Lord that he's not alone in service to the Lord. He needed both a companion and a fellow laborer. More than that, he needed a daily reminder of God's faithfulness. And so what does the Lord do? He sends him exactly what he what is needed when it is needed. Because God's timing is always perfect. It may not always feel like it to us, but it is always perfect. What does the Lord do? He sends a man named Elisha. You see, it says in verse 19, So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of, of Shaphat. I probably should have read that over more so I knew how to pronounce it. Um, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he with the twelve, and Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me pray, or let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. 
And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. The Lord provided Elijah exactly what he needed when he needed it. You see, just a few verses earlier, as we already read, Elijah said, I'm the only one left, Lord. I'm the only one still serving you. So what does the Lord do? In his infinite wisdom and perfect timing, he takes one of those 7,000 that's still serving him in Israel, and he plops him right down beside Elijah and said, he's going to follow after you. Not only because he would be the successor of Elijah, and we would see later that Elisha would get that double portion that's talked about in Scripture. He'd not only be a pupil and the successor of Elijah, but he's there as a constant daily reminder of the Lord's faithfulness and the fact that he's not alone in serving the Lord. So, in conclusion, I have uh, a list. Uh, I, I have a list of things that we need to remember when we're discouraged. Number one, we need to spend time daily in God's word. Number two, we need to remember God's faithfulness in our lives. We need to pray for boldness, number three. We need to seek godly counsel and accountability. We need to realize that God knows the limits of the trials we can take. We need to never attempt to tell God when he is done with you, because that's up to God. Remember, we need to remember that we serve a merciful Savior who gives us second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances. You need to realize that you will not succeed in a time of hardship on your own strength, only in his strength. You need to realize that the Christian life and serving the Lord is never promised to be an easy thing. But the Lord does promise that he'll provide us a way of escape. He'll never take a, let us go beyond what we're able to bear. We need to remember that the Lord knows exactly what we need, exactly when we need it, far better than we ever could in his perfect timing. In this evil world we live in, it can become difficult to take a stand for our faith. There will be times when you get discouraged, disheartened, and you may feel like giving up in serving Christ. In these times, we need to remember the answer, the overarching answer to this sinful world. This answer lays not in politics, not in religion, not in relationships with others, not in foreign diplomacy, not in reparations, not in war, not in environmentalism, not in universal background checks. Those don't work anyway. Not in the UN, not in pacifism, not in military might, not not in the president of the United States, the November election, or even the physical church here on earth. The answer to all our problems and all the problems of this sinful world has been and always will be Jesus Christ. Because no matter who sits in the White House, Jesus sits on the throne. 
He's unchanging, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He came to this earth to be born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He died for the likes of you and me. He was buried. He rose again the third day, forever proving himself to be God. That seems like a pretty good reason to me to live for him. So my question to you today is, do you know him? The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. If you don't know him, do you want to? He's coming back. That much is that much is certain. We don't know the day or the hour, but his return is sure. If you do know Christ as your Savior, I have a question for you as well. Are you living for him? Will you trust him when things become tough? 2 Timothy 3.12 says that all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It doesn't say how or how intense or what level that persecution will come. But it just says that it is sure. There may come a time when right now it's just mocking. But there may come a time even in America where it's prison, death, etc. But persecution is sure. Will you live for God even through that? If you're saved, they can't threaten us with heaven. We can't make the journey in our own strength, but he can. He has and will give us everything we need to live for him. He's given us his holy word, his perfect word, the King James Bible. He's given us the assured hope of everlasting life. He's given us brothers and sisters in Christ to exhort, encourage, and fellowship with. with. He's given us so much more than we could ever ask or think. Will you remember his faithfulness? during times of discouragement and disheartening.